but I encourage the students to think outside the box. I think when you hear someone that's an engineer, you don't really put thinking outside the box together with engineering. It's a very in the box field usually, but I encourage them to think outside the box, think holistically, and then also pursue their passions because you know there are several different ways you can have a career and they don't have to be just what you learned in class in school. Like they can be a variety of things. Welcome to another edition of Be The Change Georgia, where we amplify the voices of the inspiring business leaders surrounding the B Corp and social impact movements across the Southeast to help you learn how to build your legacy at the intersection of people, planet, purpose, and profit. Today, Nathan sat down with Kat Shane, the co-founder, CIO, and CEO of Can I Recycle This, aka CERT, in Athens, Georgia. Recycling is one of the most accessible and effective actions people can take to reduce their environmental impact. It keeps waste out of the landfills and the environment, conserves resources, and reduces CO2 output. The problem is that the question, can I recycle this, has a different answer depending on your location. To solve this problem, producers and consumers need a real-time location-based answer when they can ask, can I recycle, repurpose, or reuse this? Kat and her team at CERT have built an amazing recycling technology platform that gives retailers, brands, and consumers on-demand location-specific information about how and where to recycle materials. You'll learn more about her founding story of getting into the field of environmental engineering, how she turned a tragic event in her life into a driving force behind her why. Why it's so hard to answer the question, can I recycle, repurpose, or reuse this? What CERT is doing to address the challenge of making eco-friendly choices more affordable and preferable, and several little things you can be doing to create a huge impact for your employees, your clients, and your community as a public benefit company. Okay, let's jump right into this episode with Kat Shane. Over to you, Nathan. Kat Shane, welcome to Be The Change Georgia. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. What do you wish everyone understood about your field of environmental engineering? And uh, and what's the driving force behind that? Why? What, what gets you out of bed on even on a Saturday? <laughs> yeah, so I'll kind of segue into environmental engineering and how I got there. So early on, when I got to the University of Georgia, where I've now graduated twice from, I was a pre-law major and I was in English. So that was my that was my major. And I had done some research in English was the number three highest passing major on the LSAT. So I was already like analyzing data and figuring out like what would get me the best results on something like the LSAT. And I took a course that was taught by a geography professor, Dr. Knox. And he was like, hey, he's like, you really have a knack for this. It was a climate science class. He's like, are, are you in anything to do with the sciences or are you doing engineering? And I was like, no, not at all. I'm going to be pre-law. And he said, well, you should go check out engineering. I was like, oh, okay. So a couple months later, I decided to go check out engineering, UGA. And it was the second semester of that year, my freshman year. And so I went to check out engineering, still wasn't really sure if I wanted to do it. I knew the classwork was going to be a lot 
more difficult. And I was like, I'm going to become an attorney and that's going to be amazing. And all my parents' friends were attorneys. And so I knew like the career path for an attorney. No one in my family is an engineer. I had no idea what the career path for that would be. So fast forward to my sophomore year in college, my closest best friend, soulmate, like sweetheart since we were in kindergarten was diagnosed with colon cancer. And he was 20. And I was like, my whole world was shattered because it was a really, really uh, daunting prognosis. And so looking down the pipe of like lots of surgeries, chemotherapy, and just some really horrible treatments for someone to have to go through because it was a really aggressive cancer. So um, during that time, I kind of got onto this like craze of studying everything that had to do with colon cancer, what caused it, how it was formed, like why it shows itself in someone who's 20 years old. Like that's something colon cancer. That's what 50 year old people get colonoscopies for. Right. So really kind of dig down into that system and realize that there's a lot of things that we are exposed to on a daily basis that causes cancer and really started to want to change that system. And at first I was like, okay, well, I can still do this through law. Right. But then I was like, that's a little bit reactionary. I want to do something where I can create change and do less harm on the front end instead of like being reactionary on the back end. So I went into engineering because I was like researching that exactly the type of career path that would put me in a position to create systems that were good for people and didn't do harm. And so I chose to go into the engineering field and became an environmental engineer and worked on creating systems that did less harm. And unfortunately, Mikey was his name. He passed away at age 21. And so after that, I think that really, really catalyzed me to figure out how I could make a big impact. And I never thought I'd be in the position of owning a business or starting a business. I just knew that I I wanted to create something that was good for people. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. That's it's ter- I mean, it's life, but it's terrible. And it's and it's but one of the parts of the story that I want to go back to, the more uplifting part is the like the professor. I know you teach now at UGA. Like what an incredible, like you don't realize how powerful some of your words are to be like, you should check this out. You might like this. You're good at this. That also started, you know, kind of started putting some of that, those wheels into motion. Definitely. Yeah. And I actually teach uh, two courses this semester. One of them is in urban systems. And so that's things like drinking water, wastewater, solid waste systems, and how to make those more resilient and also bio-benign. So how can we create systems that use less chemicals or green chemistry or introduce green engineering principles into those systems? So you're thinking about them holistically versus very narrowly, and then also an environmental and energy policy course. And so that talks about how the fields of engineering and particularly environmental engineering came about. A lot of that has to do with policy and policies are really big driver of the changes that we see in business today. But at the same time, business has to respond to market demands and produce for their shareholders. So how can both of those systems come together to make a more harmonious world for us to live in? The businesses drive the economy and governments legislate their citizens. So I think that 
we can create systems that are good for everyone and opt into programs that are good for everyone too. It's crazy to see it come full circle too, because like that one professor said one thing to you that set you down. And then and then obviously a super tragic story of what happened to Mikey, but like in a weird way, now you're paying that forward and you're like honoring his legacy because now not only are you doing this work, but now you're also teaching. And again, as somebody who does that, like even in a small class, it's just I never realized how rewarding it was. So like now, not only do you get to do this, but you're also like shaping that next generation of leaders to then go out and continue the change that you were so became so passionate about. Yeah. And students have, it's fun because several of them are working for CERT now that have really liked what the company was doing. And while they were my students, they couldn't work for me. That's not allowed. So like after they were my students, I was like, look, we're hiring interns. Like we, I'd love to have you on board with us. And so we have several students now that were my previous students that could do that and work for CERT. And I think opening up opportunities to students that they would in a safe space where they wouldn't get them otherwise, like working with companies where it's not as high stakes is something important, working on teams and things like that. But I encourage the students to think outside the box. I think when you hear someone that's an engineer, you don't really put um, thinking outside the box together with engineering. It's a very in the box field usually, but I encourage them to think outside the box, think holistically, and then also pursue their passions because there are several different ways you can have a career and they don't have to be just what you learned in class, in school. Like they can be a variety of things. And I'm an example of that through entrepreneurship, but connecting with other groups is important. So we've done a lot of that with companies all across the U.S. for the students. So um, it's exciting. And I, I love teaching. Balancing a, a, a startup and teaching is super challenging. I'm sure you know that, Nathan. But one day I'll have to stop teaching if CERT's very, very, very successful in the future. But for now, I, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I'll do it as long as I can, as long as they'll have me. Speaking of CERT, so for those who don't know, it originally stood for Can I Recycle This? And now it's kind of a, you know, not, I don't want to say like a brand pivot, but looking beyond just the recycle component of the R insert of can I recycle this? Can I repurpose this? Can I reuse this? Why is it so hard and so challenging to answer the question, can I recycle this, reuse this, repurpose this? I mean, I see even in my neighborhood some straight up trash going in recycling bins. So why is it so hard? Yeah, that's a great question. So it really varies city by city. Sometimes that's mile by mile. And that can be confusing for citizens who they don't want to have to memorize what to do with an item. They just want to know that it's going to go to the right place. So that's one component of it is that there's 9,000 different recycling programs across the U.S. So to put that in context, that's we only have 3,000 counties in the in the nation. So there's an, like triple the amount of recycling schemes. And then you throw on top of that drop-off programs. So think of like batteries and electronics and hard to recycle materials, plastic bags, and then add a layer of compost or returnables or refillables. And it gets to, into a very complex system. And it's been highly decentralized for a long time. And so the more products that enter the market that have different types of packaging material makes it more and more confusing to try and do the right thing. And so what we've done is we've taken all that decentralized information about the materials, about the different waste systems, and put them into one place so that 
businesses and consumers can find out how to properly dispose of an item to where it doesn't end up in the landfill or it doesn't end up in the environment or our ocean. I studied plastic pollution inputs into the ocean for about eight years. And during that time, part of it was how do we mitigate that from happening? How do we mitigate plastic from ending up in the ocean? And one of the ways is to one, well, two ways, education, right? We have to be more educated about what we're using and buying and consuming. And then two was solid waste infrastructure. So how do we increase our infrastructure, make it more of a circular, based on circular economy principles, and reduce the amount of materials that ultimately will never be used again? So yeah, it can be really, really challenging. And that's just the US. So it gets more complicated when we when we go elsewhere, because there's more systems. Well, I love I love a lot of what y'all are doing too now is almost putting some of the I mean consumers are doing it too, but putting some of the onus back on companies to make better sourcing decisions and to think more strategically, more intentionally about what they're sourcing, how they're sourcing, because I think for the longest time, you know, the plastics industry and everything kind of put was like, oh, you can feel good about using all this because you just recycle it. And but now that's led to just all kinds of just, you know, and, and commingled single stream, all the stuff that you and I can nerd out on for hours as I wear my Athos Recycles hat while we record this. But a lot of that stuff doesn't actually end up being recycled. Yeah. And a lot of what we try and accomplish is making the process to switch or find out easy. So if you think about the amount of materials that are out there, I mean, number seven plastic, for example, is thousands. It can be thousands of different types of plastic. So we only have one through seven. So it's we have six that we know, and then seven is toss up. And seven includes compostable. So it just gets very, very confusing. And so what we do is we try and make it easier to make those swaps by providing the data. Companies are starting to implement changes, but without good data about what to change to, it's hard to make a decision in the design process on what you should use. So a lot of the time that's based on cost or efficiencies in transportation or you name it. But the last thing that's usually considered is the sustainability because it's so hard to quantify. Like based on my choice to use this material, where will it end up? We don't know. Like that's that's a really hard question to answer. And so what what we want to do is fill that data void. Like, okay, when someone purchases it, we at least can start to track where it may go and help make better decisions for or help those companies make better decisions. And then ultimately the consumer feels good because the company has made the right decision. And then they're also communicating it correctly to the person buying it. And so we sit in that gap. Yeah. And then for large institutions and organizations, so think places like UGA or airlines or hotels, they also want to do the right thing based on where they're located. So they have purchasing departments and procurement, and they want to get the right things on board so that they they don't go to landfill or end up in the environment. They want them to end up in a circular system. So we help them purchase those products as well. So some of this comes back to affordability. Yeah. And actually making the economic case for businesses to not only make the right decision because it's the right decision, but coming to the realization that they're still businesses, so you need to make the economic case for them. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and, and it's funny. I'll just give a concrete example really quickly and then kind of go into economies of scale. So we work with Wicked Weed Brewing, and we work with Terrapin in town. But I'm going to talk about Wicked Weed for a second because they have sample boxes that they send out to other breweries or customers or you name it. 
they switched their very unsustainable box and all the things that went inside of it, so think insulation and cold packs and all these other things, to a system that was actually more sustainable um, in terms of the circularity of the packaging. So they switched all of that over to smaller boxes, biodegradable insulation, uh, cold packs that could be reused or were water gel based so they can be disposed of in the sink, the inside, and then recycle the bag. And then several other things that are better off (laughs) as far as the recoverability of them go. And they saved money by switching to the, the more sustainable, like very curated box than they did doing kind of these larger, more unsustainable uh, shipments, which was kind of fascinating, right? Like, so they switched to the better for recovery box, I'll call it, and saved. So I think that there is a little bit of a, um, if it's not broken, don't fix it mentality when it comes to packaging. So they might have certain suppliers in place and people they've been working with for a long time. And those are hard to change overnight. So they're not going to change them overnight. They're not going to do that if it's a lot more work. But we're seeing companies, and I'm not saying that's everyone, but I'm, we're seeing companies that are, are doing that and seeing returns on those decisions. And then for like large organizations, sending stuff to landfill costs money. So I think that the less you send, the better it is for our planet, right? And for the bottom line. So you'll spend less sending materials to landfill if you recycle them or if you're composting food waste or or other, you're taking other measures than sending it to landfill. And then economies of scale, like I always use the Walmart example and organics. So organics became something, organic fruits and vegetables and other produce became something that was affordable to a lot of people when Walmart adopted them and said, okay, well, we're going to start buying a lot of organic produce. And so when you look at economies of scale, the more companies that adopt sustainable packaging or practices or systems reduces the cost over time as that adoption goes up. And that really, to me, is how sustainability should be treated as it is an opportunity for ROI. It is an opportunity to save and make money. So that's why it should be treated as a market solution versus a charity. We should be using this as an opportunity that we're all of us are in right now to see that there is a market need for green businesses and sustainability versus treating it as something that is more of a of a charity, which has been the like status quo. Well, and I love that too, because I say that all the time about B Corp brands is like, I mean, I love my Tom's shoes and my Patagonia shorts and my Bomba socks, but like six pack of socks is like $80. But it lasts forever. But, but you know, but my point is, it's like, I think that those of us, and so I realize that not everybody can afford to do the right thing right now, but I think it's on those of us who can to shop with our wallet and to make decisions on would, would I rather buy the pack of cheap 
whatever socks for where I get 12 pairs for $14 or for, for those of us with the means to buy the Pete and Jerry's eggs, to buy, you know, the, the seventh generation detergent and the more they sell, the more they can invest, the more they can make, you start getting into those economies of scale and then we can bring the price points down. So I think, I, you know, there's, it's a chicken or the egg conversation, but I, I love that approach and that mindset to figuring out how we drive the demand, which will bring us some of the economies of scale. So super cool. Yeah, voting with voting with your wallet. And to that point, it might be, some people may think it's silly. I'm just one person, right? I'm just making one decision in a silo. But if you compound that, right, you compound the over 100 million people or a billion people making the same decision that you're making, that's a huge amount of change. Yeah, no, 100%. And I, you, you hit something else I want to touch on because you mentioned the nonprofit. You said ROI a couple of times, which always makes me smile because you know my thoughts on like we're for-profit businesses and we should talk about ROI because that's how we make money. That's how we pay salaries. That's how we invest in growth. And so you started a business. I, we've heard your why. I want to know kind of more about like you even said, like, I never thought I'd start a business. So like, where did you find the courage? Where did you find, was it just the next step in your impact? So you took it, like, where did the gumption come from to say, like, here's this little like thing I was thinking about trying to help people, which what originally was, was trying to help people like look up in their community if my greasy pizza box is recyclable or not. Like, where did you just decide, like, I'm going all in on this? Um, where did, like, that takes something. Where did it come from? What drives it? Well, I think part of it was that I had been in a situation where I was doing research, and then I worked for a company that's based in um, Monterey, California, that is called Think Beyond Plastic, and they were helping companies accelerate. So they were an accelerator based in California around plastics and alternatives to plastics and how we can make a better economy beyond plastic. And I got to oversee several startups. And so I got to kind of see the the nuts and bolts of how they operated and what types of things they had to do to raise capital. And I was fascinated by it. And I think I'm fascinated by people willing to take that risk and that leap of faith to do something on their own because it's not easy. Like I could have gone and gotten a job at an engineering firm and I had a really nice salary and benefits and all the bells and whistles. But I think I'm also, (laughs) I don't want to say masochist, but like I love challenges. Like I like to be challenged. And this was something that I saw as a need. So first of all, it was never something that I was like, this is exactly what I'm going to do. And this is the problem I'm going to solve. It was more like I saw an opportunity and I saw that there wasn't a current solution for it. And I went for it with Jenna as my co-founder. And she has a lot of international uh, clout. She's an incredible researcher. She's a badass. Sorry, I don't know if I can (laughs) cuss on here, but... She's awesome and she's a State Department speaker and she was doing the research that was needed in the space. And so paired with her, I was like, okay, I'm pretty confident that this idea has legs. We can do this. And then ultimately our first business model failed. Like we were selling to the wrong customer. We were building the wrong model and we pivoted and we said, okay, 
we need to build a team that can service companies that can take this to the next level. And so that's when I brought in Deeds Creative founders, Mark Babcock and Christian Foster. And I also brought in as a contact of Christian, actually Jennifer Davidson, who's incredibly invested in the Athens community and um, has several projects outside of CERT for the Athens community. So brought them in and they all have experience working with large organizations in marketing and in sales. And so at that point I was like, okay, we have the right team to do this. And then once we started to shop it out a little bit to some companies about what kind of data we had, we also instantly got some enemies. So I was like, okay, maybe we're on the right track now. If we're, if we're, we have something that's worth something. If people are like, okay, this could be dangerous to our organization or something like that. Although it's not exactly dangerous. It was just something that we knew we had something that people wanted and some early first adopters, which was awesome. So that's all. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you're not doing nothing until people are hating on you. So, no, that's great. It's fun too. You get you just get pot committed. I mean, I've had n- more numerous founders tell me when I was even thinking of going out on my own. I'm like, am I crazy to start this on my own? Because there's a big difference between side hustle and just kind of like with a steady paycheck coming in versus like your own deal. And every founder has been like, dude, we're all crazy. Like, you've got to be crazy to want this. But once you get into it, you just like, if it's meant to be, you love it. And I know, and I've known you for like, you do love it. And it's just kind of fun to watch. The lesson I take away for the listeners too, is like that lesson of like iteration of figuring out, like being okay to acknowledge that like, Hey, this isn't working as is. So like, what will, and like getting the creative team in there, like, what is it? We're onto something here, but like, let's get the whiteboard out and figure out what that is. So that's, yeah, that's pretty cool to unpack. I know we're running close to time. Let me, I want to ask you one more thing. It's just, you mentioned Athens, Clark County, and I live here. You live here. We probably throw like baseball. Oh, you just moved. So maybe I can't hit your house with a baseball anymore. But anyway, what is it like the, what are some of the ways you've been able to live out your mission as a citizen of Athens and the community here that other businesses could easily do to be good stewards in their local communities? Yeah. So I think, I mean, the first thing I would start with is becoming a public benefit corporation if you are a corporation and also applying for B Corp certification. I think that helped us lay a framework for how we should be operating our business in a way that benefits our employees, the citizens of Athens, our customers, and I mean, the nation, the world at large. And it really gives you a step-by-step guidance for that. And I really appreciated that as a uh, founder because it's not easy to find out everything you need to do for your business. And just like employee handbooks, it's setting up things like um, how much paid time off or paid time off do I need to give my employees? What should I be thinking about when I when we have a lot of employees and there are mothers who are nursing, for example. So it's like things that, of course, we wanted to offer, but just didn't have a framework for. And B Corp really gave us that framework. The second thing is we live by the mission and purpose of, of our business and the values that we've put in place. And so those are things like reducing our impact as much as we possibly can. And so a lot of the employees that are at CERT including the leadership team. We all bike to work. 
usually. We don't use single sources of things like water bottles or single sources of waste. Usually we, we try and reduce our impact there as much as we can. We're always looking to volunteer. We offer paid volunteering hours of CERT. And so our employees are encouraged to go and volunteer during the workday or- Or at Nathan's, at Nathan's trash pickups on the weekend. Exactly. And just being involved in community activities. And a lot of them, we're in a more or less environmentally fo- focused, right? On, on a very niche category. So we encourage our employees to go seek out volunteer opportunities that get them out of that space. So like Nucci's, for example, or other music and arts nonprofits in the area. And then another thing is we hire pretty much strictly from the Athens community. So we're looking at talent pools in Athens. We want to retain that talent here and make sure that the economy in Athens is flourishing, which it is, and we love it here. So we want to bring talent here and then also retain it. And then, yeah, so it's the little things, it's the everyday things like reducing our impact, but then it's also the kind of like bigger opportunities like B Corp that we're a part of. We're also 1% for the planet. We're a woman-owned business and we hit several SDGs, sustainable development goals with our technology. But that translates down to the Athens community, I think, because the more companies that we have signing up to be part of these networks that are reducing their impact in the local community, the better the community is for it. And then it's something, again, that compounds on itself. So if we're doing it in Athens and Atlanta's doing it and Columbus is doing it and Augusta's doing it and Charleston is doing it, I mean, that's a massive amount of impact. And so the intentionality, so I think to to summarize some of that too, it's like it's the B Corp assessment gave you the tool to, and not just shameless plug because this is Be the Change Georgia and this giant B Corp logo on my image, but that framework gave you the ability to start measuring. The measuring allowed you to be a little more intentional. And then once you started to be intentional, you could really be strategic and then take a leadership position in the community to kind of get others to follow your lead, which has been, I mean, I'm just saying this as somebody who lives here and has watched you and has seen the journey play out. I'm like, maybe, maybe I can answer this question. So it's been- (laughs) You can. But it's been cool. And I know everybody you've mentioned and and it is they're all we're all trying to, to make our community better. We could all easily go to Atlanta, which we love Atlanta. I just got back about an hour ago, but but there's that desire to build where we live and to make it better. So yeah. Well, I feel like we can go on for hours, but I know we have to wrap up sooner or later. So I want to just say thank you for coming on. Thank you for being awesome. Thank you for doing what you're doing. I know this is important and I can't think of a better way to start to change the the ecosystem and the sourcing, the big companies, and I know you're, you're some of these bigger companies to change the way they do business and to lay out that economic argument. So before we depart, where, and I'm on you to start building this LinkedIn game, but where can people, where can our listeners find you? You can find me on LinkedIn at Catherine Shane. Uh, it's my full name there. And then again, on Twitter at Catherine Shane. And I'm also on Instagram, cat underscore Shane. And then we have um, our website for CERT, which is www.cert.tech. And you can also find us on Instagram at cert.tech. We don't have a LinkedIn CERT page yet? There is also a LinkedIn CERT page. (laughs) And you can find it CERT. And then we have parentheses, can I recycle this? Sweet. And keep your eyes peeled on all those for whenever we finally get through the final B Corp assessment so that we can 
celebrate CERT's B Corp certification. So yeah, definitely something that we have recently announced is that we are part of the 2022 cohort for Google's Women Founders group. So we're pretty excited about that. And we're B Corp pending now. So yes, be on the lookout for when we announce that. That's going to be awesome. Grace Ann on our team worked very, very hard with me to, to get that through. And so did the UGA students that were on our team. So we appreciate your leadership on that, Nathan. I hear the guy that teaches that class is a real weirdo. Um, <laughs> so awesome. Well, Kat, thanks again. Thanks for everything you're doing. Wonderful work, inspiring work. And yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Nathan, for having me. Awesome. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Well, that wraps up another edition of Be The Change Georgia. We're grateful as always for the opportunity to serve you with this content and grow this incredible community of purpose-driven B Corp leaders. If you haven't already, we would be grateful for you to rate the show wherever you get your podcast by simply tapping the number of stars you think it deserves and sharing it with a friend. This helps us get the word out and continue to use our collective influence as a force for good. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help from our production team at Chat with Leaders Media. Learn how you can launch your own podcast to grow your business at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again for listening and now go be a leader worth following.